You're listening to the Nuff Said Podcast, real strategies for customer success. Hey everyone, Chris and Nick here, co-founders of Nuff Said. And today on the Nuff Said Podcast, we spoke with Karen at Salesforce and we asked, how does NPS fit into a voice of customer program? What we learned is NPS is dead. Voice of the customer programs replace it. The goal of your VOC program should be to create listening posts that measure customer actions, not intentions. And you know your VOC program is successful when the entire company is accountable for taking action in real time. So that's a TLDR. Let's dive in. My name is Karen Manji, and I'm Vice President of Customer and Market Insights at Salesforce. And the work that I've done throughout my career focuses on the topic of success, how to be successful personally, professionally, and with your customers. And I'm fortunate that part of that role is sharing some thought leadership about what's new and trending and how we can build a compelling vision of the future together. So I've released three books, including what I refer to as two pandemic publications, Listen Up, How to Tune Into Customers and Turn Down the Noise, and Working from Home, Making the New Normal Work for You. So I spend a lot of time thinking about the future and what success will look like for all of us in the future. Great. So today's topic is around VOC. And I think we should start by demystifying the term VOC program for the audience. And you've been running voice of customer programs for 12 plus years. So can you start off by telling us what is a VOC program? Why should I have one? How has it changed over the years? Well, I think we even need to back it up a step. I think that success begins with defining what I call the answer to the big impact question. And the big impact question is, who is your customer now? And the reason I think that's so important is a voice of customer program by definition is built on needing the same definition of who your customer is. And I'm finding that for a lot of organizations, especially during the pandemic, that definition has actually shifted. You might have added a new customer segment. You might have shifted from your distributor to your end user customer or reverse. The reality is the best VOC programs are based on everyone in your organization having the same definition of who your customer is. And and I think about, you know, your customer is anyone upon whom your success depends ultimately. And so within that, the most successful voice of customer programs and what I think of as a voice of customer program is giving a voice to the people that play a critical role in your success. That's great. So if I'm a listener and I'm interested in developing a voice of customer program, but don't have one yet, how do I think about starting to construct it? What are the key components? So I think about think big, act small. So if your your overarching outcome is to develop a voice of customer program where perhaps you're listening across multiple channels to multiple customer segments, what I think about is what's the smallest step we can take to get started? And A great place to look for where to get started is what is the easiest? What I say is work with the willing. If you're in an organization that culturally does not like surveys, don't launch a survey at the beginning. If you're in an organization that thinks qualitative feedback is a set of useless stories and it's not statistically significant, don't start with that. Select really the most willing advocate or advocates you have in the organization. And I think a great way to find these folks is you know, it could be sales, it could be marketing, it could be a senior leader. But what I like to ask them to get a great starting place is, what is it that you would like to know about our customers or the customers you serve that you don't know already? And then build just a little miniature listening prototype to help answer that one question. 
what happens is you're giving someone who's influential, ideally, at least as a testimonial, some information that they find valuable and you get to try something. You'll figure out what works, what doesn't work, and then go to the next person and ask that question, but start small. You know, find a problem that you can easily address, find an area where people are curious and hungry to know more, but maybe don't have the time, resources, or skills to go get curious and get the answer to those questions. So for a lot of companies, a VOC program means a quarterly NPS survey. And if you think it's something other than that, what what does it like, what is the deliverable of a VOC program? How will I, as a CEO, as an executive team, how will we consume the results or the impact of a VOC program? There's so many places that we could take this conversation. I guess I'll start with with two thoughts. The first one is the most effective VOC programs through the eyes of the stakeholders that you're serving, like CEOs, move at the speed of the business, not at the pace of predetermined milestones. This is as true whether you are a customer success manager that is bound to a quarterly business review schedule, or if you're someone who's running a survey that you believe needs to happen or has historically happened quarterly, monthly, or annually. Insights about your customers have to move at the speed of the business. They have to move at the speed of relevance. Your customers don't just want to talk to you once a quarter. Your pace and pulse on how your customers are feeling about you doesn't just happen once a year. They don't get you know, a survey from you and go, you know what, now that I think about it, I should really consider my relationship of how I feel about this vendor. That's always on. And your CEO and your C-suite is needing information that's moving at the pace that they are needing to make decisions. The other piece, because you brought it up there, I feel that I would be remiss to overlook your statement about NPS because the reality is that NPS is dead. It is one of the worst metrics for this present time because it deludes people into believing that that number is tied to a set of repeatable behaviors. And I think about it this way. It's a little bit like uh, if I said to you, why don't you borrow from the playbook of my friend, Ashley Rebel? Now, you might not know Ashley, but Ashley was out one night with some friends at a pub, you know, having a little happy hour, getting a little bold in conversation. And he pitches out to his buddies. What if I went to Las Vegas and bet my life savings on one spin of the roulette wheel? And you can imagine the bravado that follows, right? Like, oh yeah, that'd, that'd be fantastic. Let's do it. Okay, so the reality is he leaves the pub and actually decides to do it. He ends up selling his watch, his BMW, his golf clubs. He takes his entire life savings. When he flies to Las Vegas, the only thing he has is the rented tuxedo he's wearing and the buddies who were with him at the pub. Goes to the station, cashes in his entire life savings for chips, literally goes and bets it on one spin of the roulette wheel. Now, my question to you is, do you think that Ashley made a good decision? Would you tell Ashley this is great? Bet it all on one, one number? And here, here's the second question. Win or lose, whether, whether he hit the number in one big or lost it all, could he repeat that outcome predictably? That's what net promoter score is. We are betting it all on one spin of this roulette wheel called NPS. And the reality is 99% of companies cannot tell you based on that score and that survey, when you win, why do you win? When you lose, why do you lose? And could you repeat those results and that outcome with a high degree of predictability? That's great. NPS is dead is a big statement. And a lot of us out here are running our business on that metric and have been for a while. So if 
If not that, then what? I mean, first of all, I'd say to all those businesses, I'll see you in Vegas. I mean, bring it on. Let's do it. <laughs> right. The reality is NPS needs to be put in its place. It needs richer context. And, and the other thing that happens, right, NPS asks you about an intention. NPS says, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or colleague? Now, if I were to ask you both right now, how likely are you or do you intend to eat healthy today and not have your first drink until after five? What are you going to say? I mean, you know, there's people listening. You're going to say, yes, yes, that's my intention. You, you go to your dentist. Your dentist says, do you intend to floss your teeth when you leave here? You say, absolutely. Do you do it? I don't know. I, I think the statistics would tell you there's a lot of people with great intentions about eating vegetables who don't follow through. Here's the reality. When we ask someone about their intention, it doesn't mean they follow through, even if it means likeliness to recommend our business. A better question to ask your customers to get more insights is something called the social promoter score. And it is, did you recommend our business to whom and in what context or for what purpose? I don't want to know what you intend to do. I want to know as a business owner and as a voice of customer leader, what you actually did and with whom. That's advocacy. That's something I can send a sales team out to follow up on, right? I, I worked with a sales leader for many years who would say the most valuable aspect of a voice of customer program for me as a sales leader is I want to know the people who tell us that they love us, but aren't spending like they do. All day long, I'll go send people to call on that greenfield opportunity. But the reality is, you know, we need to move from understanding people's intentions which are always good, but often like follow through to what actions people have actually taken on your behalf. Let's go one level more tactical. How can you capture the social promoter score in a repeatable way where people will be willing to give you that amount of information as part of a, a, a transaction or an exchange? It's simple to ask this. This is where customer success managers are wonderfully helpful. And by the way, we were talking a moment ago about those quarterly business reviews and some research I did recently with a colleague about the effect of the pandemic on voice of customer programs. One discovery we found is the number of customer success organizations that no longer have pre-planned timed quarterly milestone reviews. Instead, those check-ins with customers are moving at the pace of progress. Meaning if we're implementing something, we might need to be meeting more frequently. They let the milestones define when they meet, as opposed to deciding we artificially need to have something that's on the calendar every quarter, every year, regardless of what's happening. So, you know, when I think about what that means, we need to release this thought that we can anticipate far in advance when we need to be meeting with a customer so that we can be tuned into when we actually need to meet with them based on when we have shared risk, shared opportunity, there's a milestone we need to revisit. And sometimes when we need to course correct within those discussions, provided it's not an escalation situation, are great opportunities to ask. Based on how your onboarding experience has gone, for example, have you recommended us to anyone? You can do it in the surveys as well. I think we're all smart enough to know at this point that survey response rates are very small and continuing to diminish. And so, you know, live conversations tend to be great opportunities to ask those questions. You can also uh, scan for what people, you know, your customers are posting on you uh, about you on social media channels, of course. You meant earlier in the conversation, you mentioned listening posts, which is kind of an interesting concept. So yes, you might have a listening post around NPS as long as it's put in its place. You might have a listening post at 
uh, quarterly check-ins or monthly check-ins with customers. You might have a listening post at onboarding. Are there other kind of key moments that are really important to have a listening posts at in order to really capture the customer's actual experience with you? One of the most overlooked nuggets of customer feedback that does move at the pace of relevance and at the speed of insight are those contacts to your customer support center. And the most effective programs that I see bring that literal voice of the customer to life in their organizations by playing recordings from those calls for executives and in town hall meetings. And I've seen many takes on how to do this well. A few examples, take that executive readout that you're doing. And if you've got a data point that you know your survey or your quantitative research supports, supplement it heavily with qualitative research, these recordings where an executive can actually hear literally the voice of your customer conveying the pain or the progress. It captures a different emotion than just the data. And the reality is lots of executives will pick apart your data. Very few are going to debate a customer story. It takes one customer story to win them over. If you showed up with one survey response, they'd be like, what am I going to do with that? Right? It's amazing. Stories are powerful. I've also seen some very smart ideas about how to use that literal live voice of the customer from customer support to get people in the organization involved in how customer transformation is happening. Uh, One of my favorite organizations, they're in B2B and B2C space. And what they do for their entire organization on Fridays is they have, it's about a two minute audio recording of customer support calls that went great. And so they reinforce to their employees at the end of the week, great job this week, listen to how satisfied these customers are, or here's areas where we said we were going to make progress and it's starting to show up. And then on Mondays or Tuesdays, they do a two minute recording. That's things that aren't going as well where we need to improve. So I like the end the week on a high, congratulate everyone, send them into the weekend when they're fresh, come back and say, we still have a little work to do. Let's get after that. An effective voice of the customer program benefits literally every department in the company. So who ultimately should own the voice of the customer program and and ensure that it happens on a regular basis? What I love about that question is that there's an endless series of possibilities. This is the infinity and beyond and hotly debated topic. And you could argue that there's pros and cons to lots of different reporting structures. So I've lived through all of them at this point, I think. And here's how they've played out. So you'll often hear people say, well, where we really need to be is reporting into the CEO or the, you know, the C-suite senior executive function, because that's when we will have the most influence and authority because we will be tied to the highest charter of the company. Pro, yes, you will get lots of visibility. Con, you are never going to get more budget than the person running marketing, finance, HR, or ops. It's not going to happen, not on your best day, no matter how brilliant the insights are. They're always going to hire another salesperson before they fund you for another survey, period. Also, beware of the exposure at that senior level, right? It's not always what you think it it will be, and it takes a different kind of conversation and skills to stay relevant in the C-suite. Okay, so pros and cons there. You could say it needs to report into marketing. This one's very popular, right? Because this is going to be the source of how we detect these wonderful leads that sales doesn't value that comes from marketing. And so we're going to use this voice because we're going to be wonderful. We're going to tune into this new language. We're going to have great first call decks. We're going to be very tuned into the pulse of the market. And the metric typically on that for success is how many leads get passed over to sales that become pipeline. I have yet, having led sales teams, to lead a single seller 
who would ever say to me, nor have I ever met a sales leader that has said, you know, the way I was able to retire my quota, really my team basically just sitting here waiting for the phone to ring or the next record to show up from marketing, because these leads are so well curated. I am finding just so much business. I don't need to cold call or even talk to the customers I have now. I mean, marketing is really actually the sales engine of the company. Not going to happen. Not on your best day. Plus side, these tend to be people that are curious about stories, use customer stories. Well, downside, the way you're measured and your day-to-day -day function is so outside of the core of that business that you will be an island unto yourselves. Next, sales. Well, let's get close to the customer because now I'm going to find these customer insights and then I'm going to give these back to the people that can go contact the customers. Having been a salesperson and led salespeople, I have yet to meet a person carrying a quota who has a teammate not carrying a quota that thinks that the insights about the customers that they are serving are useful. So plus side, you're very close to the customer. You can get lots of context. AEs will love to tell you stories about the customers that will give you rich context. And at the end of the day, they're basically not going to use your information. And you're always going to get deprioritized because when quarter end comes, the executives have to pay attention to the people who are bringing in the money. These are the cold, hard facts of business. Uh, you can go into the sales enablement. You can go into the ops organization. So now you're in a land of people who love numbers, right? They, they just don't tend to have a same seat at the table in terms of customer credibility. What it all comes down to is this. It is the culture of your organization and the stage of your voice of customer program. If you are brand new and starting a brand new program where you are piloting or doing a lot of piloting, you don't want to report to the CEO. You do not want to showcase the disorganization and messy that comes with great experimentation. And it's a necessary stage. If you are a very mature program with a big team and a big budget in a very mature company that maybe has flat to declining profits, you may be ready for that kind of visibility and it may be helpful because it can help you uncover new revenue sources or areas for R&D, that sort of thing. But what I would say is work with your culture and be aware of the kind of advocacy you need at any given time and it will shift. Once the VOC program is instrumented, implemented, insights are being distributed to the executive team or people in the company who need access to customer data to make decisions, how do you ensure that the customer feedback data surveys are being used in decision-making? How do you hold the team accountable? Outcomes are the new experiences. And here's what I mean by that. If we set an outcome that we are trying to achieve, so for example, we are going to launch a new feature or product and we are expecting X number of dollars, customer participation, uplift, whatever that is, manage to the outcome you are trying to achieve, not to the literal insight by insight. If you do want to measure insight by insight, you can measure return on insights, meaning we made these recommendations to the business, this percentage or set were implemented and it got us to this outcome but outcomes are really the new experiences. And when you can orient the expectation around outcomes, it's very helpful in breaking down the organizational silos of people who need to work together to deliver that outcome, as opposed to when you take that insight by insight approach, it's easier to go department by department and you sort of create a silo when what you really need is a horizontal function that comes together with the customer at the center. I imagine over the last year, your strategies changed because of COVID or shifted. And I'm curious how that's changed your thinking. 
the way that my thinking has evolved in the past year is a couple of things. First of all, if you are still running the exact same voice of customer program that you were pre-pandemic, you are missing critical signals from your customers because the reality is your moments of truth have shifted because how you're serving your customers has shifted. Almost every business I know that is not in the physical service delivery space of something like giving you groceries or food had to switch to a digital model. And the reality is in a digital world where most people don't have a fully baked digital strategy to match serving all or a huge percentage of your customers in a digital way, your moments of truth have shifted. So why are you asking about, you know, an experience that someone used to have in person on your voice of customer survey, for example, when that's not available? Why are you measuring, you know, customer satisfaction of someone's digital experience? I mean, the reality is my grandfather's 97 and a half years old. He's very able-bodied and tech savvy, but he doesn't want to have a telemedicine visit with his doctor. So when he gets a survey that says, how satisfied were you with this experience? What's he going to say? I'm extremely dissatisfied. Why? By definition, he's trapped in an experience he doesn't want to have. So most organizations have either designed new experiences for customers or have been forced to so radically shift that the questions we're asking about these experiences are no longer indicative of something very critical, which is choice. There was potentially more choice available to your customers pre-pandemic than there is now which means what they care about and how you ask about that experience and the expectation and the measurement have all shifted. So if you're still running your same annual survey with your same questions and your same scores, you're creating immense blind spots for your organization. And customer expectations have shifted, right? I mean, now that we figured out that you can get basically everything delivered to your house, I mean, do people really want to go back to a bunch of retail stores? Probably not. Well, are we asking about that differently? <laughs> Are we holding a different expectation? Are we setting up different outcomes? It, it's that everything has to shift and more cross-departmental cooperation and collaboration is required to get to those outcomes now. You know, you mentioned that you've seen VSC programs report to CEO, marketing, sales, ops enablement. We're seeing kind of an increase in interest from the customer success leader, the chief customer officer, and so that's actually an area where I think potentially VOC could live and get a lot of attention. Yes, that can be a viable fit. What I've seen is because customer success is a newer function relative to voice of customer. When you put them in the same organization, I've observed and experienced, at least with the companies I've worked with, a little bit of a turf war that has to be worked through because what it comes down to is You've got two sets of people who are getting to know customers in different ways. And the natural tendency is to be like, no, I own the voice of the customer. Like mm -hmm. I know the customer. So now you've got people in the organization sitting together who theoretically both believe that they know and own the customer better than anyone else. And so great leaders find ways to work through that. What I would say is there's a culture that needs to be created there and ways to be thoughtful about how to take the richness of both of those teams and data sets and mesh them together. It's important for CS and VOC to figure out how to work well together because it does feel like such a natural fit to have the listening posts and the people doing the renewals sitting in the same room together, calibrating on, like you said, moments of, of truth, moments of impact. 
And so I would love to see VOC become a much more prominent part of the customer success function. Yes. And in fact, uh, the analogy that I, that, I, that I often make with net promoter scores, I mean, net promoter scores, like you and your spouse or significant other going out for dinner on your anniversary. And when, you know, as the bill's coming, you look at the other person and you say, hey, are we going to break up or stay together for another year? The answer to that question should not be a surprise. I mean, the reality is there's been a series of signals leading up to that point. It's like, you know, if you're the person that always forgets to pick up the dry cleaning, that's fine. If you're the person who keeps forgetting to pick up the kids at daycare, I mean, I think we've got a signal that you the answer to that that, that is NPS to me. It's like, we're yeah. at the anniversary dinner with our customer. We're like, are we going to break up or stay together? And then we're like waiting in deep anticipation, like yeah. literally seemingly unaware of the answer. And it, this is the goodness to me of the voice of customer, customer success teams together, which is there are so many signals about the health of your relationship with your customers that are always on. And we miss them because we either don't connect them or we tie them to something artificially time bound of a check-in, like a once year anniversary dinner. When the reality is that discontent or content is, is breeding itself 12 months a year. And that's it for this week's episode of Nuff Said. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to your podcast platform of choice and make sure you're subscribed and tune in next week for more real customer success strategies. Nuff said.